When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Just before we begin this episode, I just want to take a moment to give a shout out to the sponsors for the podcast, which is Steroplast Healthcare Limited. Steroplast Healthcare Limited, setting the standards across the seven sectors. If you don't already know of them, get onto their website, www.steroplast.co.uk, to look at some of the great products that they do. We've got the boxing wraps, the Sterotape Zinc Oxide Tape, we've also got the Sterotape Premium and the Sterotape K. Now, we've got World Fight using this tape, we've got local fighters including Charlie Schofield, Ben Sheedy, Jimmy Kelly... Callum Cook. They're all using this tape at the moment and Steroplast are getting around to all the boxing gyms and you will be able to purchase these items from steroplast.co.uk. Get over to that website, have a look because the Sterotape and the Stink Oxide Tape aren't the only things that they actually do. They do provide equipment for emergency rooms, for hospitals, uh, other sports. They produce items for vets. Uh, medical surgeries, GPs, first aid, defibrillators, things of that nature. So they're not just all about the stereotype and the boxing wraps. Get yourself over there and have a look. www.steroplast.co.uk Welcome to Beyond the Ropes, a boxing podcast brought to you by Easily Boxing Repeat. The place for the Northwest and boxing news, news, reviews, and interviews. Here's your host, Sean Basso. Welcome to episode number 23 of Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. Sean Basto here, your host as always, with your co-host Cahill Jennings, here to discuss the week's action, and there's quite a lot of it, and there's quite a lot to come this weekend coming as well. Uh, but first of all, Cahill, uh, twice in the space of a week now we've recorded, um, <laughs> how are you doing since the last time we spoke? Yeah, I'm not keeping uh, I'm not keeping too bad, the boxing world is, uh, is keeping us busy, Sean. It is, it really is, and we've got uh, a mega, mega packed show today, so I'm just briefly going to let the listeners know what we've got on today, so for the guys that are listening to this podcast, you've... Oh, 
obviously got the biggest fight that's happened over the weekend. We've got the Groves Eubank aftermath. Uh, some of the stuff that was said after the fight. Some of the future stuff that we're going to be talking about with that. Uh, we'll go stateside and we'll talk about some of the fights we covered on the last episode of the weekly roundup. You know, there was quite a lot of fights, including Ray Belcher and Danny Garcia, Victor Ortiz, Devin Alexander. Uh, and then I managed to catch up with Andy Kremner uh, from the Ultimate Boxer Tournament, which we're going to get a little interview from him. And then we're going to look forward to the weekend coming. A massive weekend for boxing yet again. Boxing season has well and truly kicked off. Uh, we've got the World Boxing Super Series Super Middleweight Semi-Final number two. A uh, bit of controversy that's gone on this week, which we'll discuss a little bit later. Uh, we've got the Box Nation show uh, down in London. We've also got some other fights over from stateside. And we've got two fantastic interviews that you managed to get this week, Cahill. One was an exclusive interview from John Murray. And I'll warn you now, guys, it's quite a lengthy one, but it's a very, very in-depth uh, and really real honest interview. So, you know, please bear with us with this one because you'll really enjoy it. We've also got an interview with Jordan Gill, who's on the Next Gen Show on Sunday. We'll catch up with that a little bit later on. Let's kick it off. Let's talk about the biggest fight of the weekend, which was George Groves taking on Chris Eubank Jr. for the WBA Super and the IBO World Super Middleweight title. Really, uh, the first story I want to tell for the people that uh, obviously have not have not seen on the social media channels that come five o'clock Saturday afternoon I'm sat there personally you know ready to to get the get the fight and pumped up for this fight I, I order the fight on ITV box office decide whether I want a Chinese checks checks the emails and lo and behold there is a, a press pass waiting for me at the box office at the Manchester Arena so you can probably imagine the, the excitement and the scrambling around I was doing at 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon getting ready to get to the show I managed to get to the show for 7 o'clock and I've got to give the props to World Boxing Super Series and the Sourlands first reason for that is I've been to quite a lot of shows in the past 9-10 months now and that was the first show I've ever been to where they had a dedicated media room and they put on uh, a little spread of food and drinks and I thought, wow, this is great. This is fantastic. In terms of where we was located, we was actually located up on the lower tier with a lot of other press people, including British boxers. We've got guys from the Sport Bible there. There was loads of us sat up in the lower tier uh, and only the very privileged press got to sit ringside. Uh, so like your IFLs and behind the gloves, etc. But it was a great event to be at. Let's talk about the fight yourself. First of all, I'm going to come to you, Cahill, with this one because you picked Groves to, to win this fight uh, and you were spot on with it. So talk me through it. How did, how did you find the fight? Well, I said that George Groves would win purely because I believe he had the, the ring IQ. He'd been in there with more experienced fighters. He'd been there on the big stage. I didn't think it would go be as one-sided as it was. Um, I, in fairness, I could only give Eubank two rounds. George Groves was... He, it was it was just a, a brilliant tactical performance from himself and Shane McGuigan. Um, Chris Eubank didn't offer much, no plan B. George Groves just kept on his feet or kept on his toes. Didn't stand in front, didn't try trade. He knew that if he stood and trade, and everyone knew if he stood and trade with Chris Eubank, it, 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 would, it would be a quick night. But it was just a brilliant performance from George Groves. I don't I think a lot of people are saying, oh yeah, it was hype for Chris Eubank Jr. But I don't think George Groves getting the credit he deserves for the performance that he put in and making George Groves or making uh, Eubank Jr. look the way he he did it at times he looked amateur amateurish such so wild swinging swinging for the fences and it, it, for me in rounds it, it was 10-2 i could give eubank round three because it looked like he hurt george groves and then 12 because he was the busier the busier fighter and that's purely because george groves shoulder and um, popped out of place george groves a master performance and something that it did 
I think there was a lot of hype surrounding Chris Eubank Jr., but I think the, the the respect has to go to George Groves. He had a down. He had his uh, game plan to a T. It was just one of those performances where there's levels to this game, and and George Groves said it himself. He is levels above Chris Eubank Jr. And we saw where Chris Eubank Jr. is at at the moment in his career, and he's probably left with what does he do next? A lot of people are giving him advice, but he hasn't always been the most um the most welcome of advice. I think he does it his own way, but I think he's at the point in his career now. Um, coming into his late 20s where he really needs to make a change or he's going to be one of those that kind of went he made a lot of money but he didn't really achieve a whole lot and the World Boxing Super Series has been good for him and um, he's made a made a huge and even more of a name for himself but it'd be interesting to see what he does next and I think it's possibly going to set up a, a great final now yeah well my take on the fight obviously I was there uh, I was in the lower tier I had a good seat good enough to see what was going on in terms of the fight itself when George Groves came out he came out typical George Grove style, really. You know, that long jab, you know, putting Eubank at range. And one of the first things I noticed with the fight was that Eubank Jr. was following Groves around the ring like a lost sheep. And as soon as I seen him start to follow him around the ring, I'm thinking, hmm, okay, he's, you know, he's not really cutting the ring off here. And he's not doing any attempt to cut the ring off. He's following Groves. Groves is getting that jab off. He's popping it off. And as the fight went on, it just became more evident that there was only one game plan within the the team Eubank and that was to try and catch Groves with a big shot or trap him on the ropes and that was quite evident throughout that particular fight that that was what he was trying to do now when I made my assessment and my pick of of, of Eubank to win this fight I did it on the basis that I believed uh, Chris Eubank would have shown more than than what he did on that night you know we all make bad predictions and that one was a pretty poor one for myself and I will admit but at the the time I wouldn't say I was buying into any hype of Eubank I just felt like he, he had the skill he had has the ability to do better than what he did on that night. That night was poor. Uh, one of the things I would say that caused this defeat for Chris Eubank Jr. was the fact that his corner didn't have uh, a plan B or a plan C. They just had one plan and that plan failed and they didn't have anything else to back him up. The problem Eubank Jr. has got is his corner and that's the biggest and it was very evident, actually. It was very evident come Saturday night. You had Eubank Senior getting involved too much. He shouldn't be in the corner. Yeah, he should have been Ronnie Davis. Ronnie Davis is a very experienced coach. He knows what he's doing. He knows what what's going on. But I feel like he's just taking a back seat all the time for Eubank Senior. And the problem Eubank Junior's got is he, he doesn't seem to want to ditch his dad out the corner. Unless he does that, then his career's probably destined to not re- reach the heights that it could potentially reach. Now a lot of people were slagging Eubank Jr. off after the fight. Nazim Hamid was one in particular which I wanted to touch on because that was absolute uh, TV gold what happened after the fight. Now obviously I didn't see it until I got home because I was at the show so when I watched it back I was like <laughs> you know Nazim great it was honest honest stuff that came out of his mouth some of it maybe a bit too much like the fact he told you know the viewers that he, he thinks Eubank Jr. should retire I don't agree with that I do agree with a lot of the other comments though and it just made for an entertaining end to the show itself to be honest with you and Nazim Hamid making them comments What one of the things I wanted to touch on you know in the aftermath of all this is Groves' side when you think about this fight now you think about not the fact that Groves had a dominant performance and completely negated everything Chris Eubank Jr. had. The first thing you think about is Chris Eubank's corner or the comments from Nazim Hamid. Third in the pecking order is the performance of Groves. People are forgetting how good that performance was. That 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 just goes to show you how much George Groves has come on 
since the losses that he's had in his career. He's had losses to Froch twice. He's had losses to Badu Jack. The fact that he's bounced back and, and shown how well he's bounced back to me, you can never underestimate the guy. And I wasn't underestimating him because I, you know, I could see the argument why people would think Groves would win this fight. But essentially, my initial pick was Eubank. So I just feel like Groves has proven a lot of people wrong. He actually was, funnily enough, the underdog going into this fight. And when you look back on it now and you think, what, really? You know, we forgot about how good his boxing ability is. And I think I did touch on it on the podcast last week about if he boxes the way he boxed against DeGale, he'll win. And he he pretty much did the same same tactics, really, in that fight. It was pretty shocking to see his separated um, shoulder at the end of the 12th mm. round. Now, I couldn't see it from where I was until, again, after afterwards. When we were watching it in the 12th round from the, from the lower tier, you could see him sort of ducking and weaving and bobbing, and I just thought, you know, he was just trying to see the round out. But then when I watched it back on Twitter a couple of hours later and someone had managed to catch the moment and slow it down, I was like, oh, my God, look at the state of that. I'm not surprised he had to do that. But enough of me talking. Carl, go back to what we were just talking about with the Nazim comments. What did you make of that? Yeah, he was he was honest in 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 what he, in what he wanted to say i think he, they were letting him talk and he was getting a bit more riled up and a bit more kind of animated each time and if that's what he thinks that's what he thinks i don't think george or that um chris eubank jr should be retiring he he just needs to make some changes he said you're either good at boxing or you're not i, I believe that chris eubank jr has a lot what i say potential because I think people have seen enough now to say that anyone who can box will beat anyone who has footwork is going to beat Chris Eubank Jr. And that's probably true unless he changes how he is. He needs a trainer. He needs a quality trainer. You wouldn't know if someone would approach him. I don't think he's on the best terms with Adam Booth. I think he would be perfect for Chris Eubank Jr. But Naz's comments are one of them that I don't know if he was always a. I don't know if he's great fa- friends with Chris Eubank Sr. Did they come from a place of, yeah, I'm just, just going to stick it in on him now because everyone else is? But uh, I'd have to agree with you, Sean, because at the end of the night, it was Chris Eubank Jr.'s hype, then it's Naz's comments, and then it's George Groves' perform- performance, even though that should be ranked number one. And he did surprise me, but the people that George Groves has lost to are Badu Jack, former um, WBC champion. Carl Froch will go down as a legend in British boxing. So I think he gets written off a little bit too much because of how he's been in the past. But I think he's really matured as a fighter. And that's something that maybe that Chris Eubank Jr. could look at and say, right, this is what I need to do. He fought the blueprint of that on Saturday, but he needs to get a trainer in his corner. And for the comments of Princess E. Mohammed, it makes it makes you kind of laugh. But when you kind of you, you should take it with a pinch of salt. He's someone who he saw his opportunity to have a little dig, and he did. I don't know if he'll be working again on on uh, <laughs> any boxing TV shows, but you'd like to see him back. But saying that a fighter should retire after a bad performance, and it was a bad performance, but you'd be hoping that. I don't think Chris Eubank Jr. is going to take too much heed to it. And I don't think anybody else should. You'd be so surprised if Sunday morning Chris Eubank Jr. had retired. I think Naz was having a little dig and they should be taken with a pinch of salt. I think, I don't know if you've seen it, Sean, but his sign-off at the end of the night where he looks down the camera and tells his wife that he loves her is absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And I'd, I'd advise you to try to see that. Yeah, no, I, I have actually caught that and I thought it was great. One, the, the, you know what made me laugh about it is when and I looked at that afterwards and I thought, you know, Naz, he's quality. But, you know, he says these things and, yeah, take it with a pinch of salt. And the reason I say that is because when you think about Naz and the, the fantastic career he had, he also could have reached even greater heights. Not to have a dig at him, but when he when he come up against it, the biggest test of his career, what did he do? He blew it. He did, funnily enough, the same as what Eubank Jr. did on that night. He was trying to 
throw the one shot, the big bombs against Marco Antonio Pereira. He didn't train properly for that fight. He, he was, you know, living a, lo- a lavish lifestyle at the time. He had the best trainer, one of the best trainers ever in Emmanuel Stewart in his corner. And I think it was a lot of needle because I don't know if you've ever read the story that with, with boxing when uh, Eubank actually, uh, Eubank Senior that is, slapped Nazim Hamad at an airport a good 20, yeah. good 20 years ago now. And that was definitely a continuation of the needle that they've had between one another for a long time. And I think he was just using that opportunity on TV to, to have another little dig at him. And he had a great ammunition with But Nazim it. had one defeat and he walked away from the sport, which is something that he doesn't really have much... He can't really stand on that. He he had one defeat, walked away. So their backstory shouldn't affect how he feels about Chris Eubank Jr. I don't know if you feel the same, but he shouldn't have brought that in. I think he did bring it in a little bit on Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, he did. He, did. he shouldn't. He shouldn't have done. He, he wasn't. Very, he wasn't very objective. He he he, he was very biased. George Groves as well, which didn't make much sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I don't think they'll have him on again. To be honest, <laughs> it was good for a one-off moment, but in terms of uh, uh, regular appearances, I don't think so. Uh, anyway, we'll move on. We've we've talked about the fight. I don't want to spend the majority of the podcast talking about the fight. Everybody watched it. We know what it was about. We know what happened after the aftermath of it. Want to touch on one of the comments that have come out since the fight has happened with Frank Warren suggesting a Groves Billy Joe Saunders matchup at super middleweight. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a huge fight. Um, probably one of the most tactical fights you'll see in boxing. But that that's that's pay per view. That's something I'd love to see. I think it was more if he couldn't make the final and a replacement was found for the winner of the Callum Smith semi final. But I think they should push it back for George Groves. But after the competition, that if Billy Joe Saunders was willing to move up to super middleweight and the fights weren't being made at middleweight that he wants, there's a huge payday. There's a huge fight and one that I think. All British fight fans would love to see, world boxing fans would love to see, a cla- wouldn't say a clash of styles, but such technical boxers, both coming from Billy Joe Saunders in the Ingle gym, Groves coming with uh, Shane McGuigan, um, so many personalities around, and just one of them that, if it could be made uh, later in the year, that I'd love to see, uh, I don't know if Groves is uh, would be up for it, but Billy Joe Saunders said he'd move up, and I think it's one of those fights that it would really catch, his, catch the public's imagination and uh, I can see why Frank Warren wants people to uh, I can see why he's putting that out there now to get people interested already yeah he, he's making a smart move by suggesting that that's potentially something that could happen because he, I think a lot of people are anticipating that uh, the Groves might not be ready for, for fighting uh, on the date that the, the, the final scheduled for which they say in the Sourlands are saying they can't change they can't move the dates can't delay it or such they should delay it if there's a possibility for them to do that they should do because they shouldn't rob us of a final because to be fair Groves is the only champion now in this tournament in the super middleweight tournament so you can't have a final without a champion in it so they've got to think about that and I'm sure they will and I'm sure we'll see what happens in the coming weeks and months that particular one but I want to just touch on the on the undercard fights obviously we talked about them in detail last week we just want to touch briefly on them just to sort of recap what happened on the show we had Tommy Langford going in against Jack Arnfield which was for the British middleweight title uh, Tommy Langford came out victorious uh, again Cahill you picked you picked it right again <laughs> that's 2-0 two, 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 two so far you, you you know I picked uh, Arnfield I thought Arnfield might just edge this one but Langford shown superior skills on the night and uh, outboxed Jack Arnfield for uh, the victory yeah, it was one that didn't really catch fire, but uh, just a good performance from Tommy Langford. I, I, I expected more from both in terms of, I thought we'd get a real kind of, uh, a real domestic dust-up. But Langford did what he needed to do, gets the win, holds on to his title, and now you'd be hoping he can get back on the track that he was on before he got beat at uh, Curtis. And I think Frank Warren has a, has a soft spot for Tommy Langford. And you'd love to see 
you'd love to see him move on now and maybe there's he, he can move on to European level he's seen I think he's seen everything he needs to see at British level and the other night it didn't catch fire but a good performance from Langford I just backed him in terms of I think he just had the better boxing on the night, pushed more. And Arnfield, it was a good fight, but I, I didn't think either could be were going to be knocked out. But it didn't catch fire, but one of them that uh, you'd like to see Langford move on, but one that Lang- Arnfield can always bounce back from. Yeah, absolutely. So, moving on down the card again, uh, we had Isaac Lowe going in against Ryan Walsh for the featherweight title, which ended up as a draw. Um, my initial thoughts on that, I've not actually watched the fight back, so from where I was watching it, I couldn't f- obviously see 100% what shots were landing and what shots weren't, but from what I could see in the view I had, uh, I actually thought Lowe might have just nicked it by a round or two. Mm. However, the judges had it a draw. Uh, obviously, you was watching it at home. What did you think of that one? Yeah, I had uh, low Nick and he was busy in the first few rounds, kind of maybe slightly slower in the in the later rounds, and that's where Walsh came back into it. It's a pity it's a draw, but also for five fans, it's one we get to see again. And maybe Lowe will be able to come back this time and take it. For me, he did get it on the night, just, but uh, I think he kind of slowed in the in the second half of the fight, letting Walsh back in. But uh, it sets up one of one of those fights that we'd like to see again, and we do hopefully get to see it again. Hopefully, it's a fight that can be made again. Well, there was a lot of respect shown between them on social media afterwards on Twitter. They'd extend, exchange yeah. a few messages, and I seen that, and it was good to see that. And I think that's definitely going to happen again for sure. And I think it'll be another good fight uh, because I do feel it was a great fight to watch, and that was one of the the fights um, that that really intrigued me on the night. Moving down the card again, one of the other televised fights which we got to see was Kieran Farrell promoted fighter Danny Craven going in against Luther Clay. Luther Clay picking up the victory by one round in what for me was quite a scrappy affair uh, I think you mentioned it to me actually uh, you think you messaged me while I was there and I think you did say actually it was a quite a scrappy affair at the time yeah it wasn't wasn't one for the purists Luther Clay looked well picked the shots well but I think he was made to look good by how rash um, Danny Craven was at times it, it, it was it was one of them it was a the, the styles didn't gel a bit rough but a good fight an entertaining fight Luther Clay looked well but at as I said, might have been made to look better than he was. True, just Danny Craven's kind of rashness. Maybe on the big stage, it got the better of him in front of a in front of a big crowd. Might have just got the better of him on the night. But one that, he, as I said, he can always bounce back from. But people know who he is now. People be interested to see even more now of even more Luther Clay and, and and Danny Craven. Yeah, absolutely. That's the second uh, World Boxing Super Series show for Danny Craven, actually. And obviously, you know, he's very on it early on in his career. And we talked about that last week. And he took a chance. You know, he only just lost. It was only by a point, only by a round, really. You know, so yeah. there's no shame in that. He, he he could have done better on the night. And I think he's admitted that on social media. But onwards and upwards, he's got another fight for a central area title in the welterweight division on the 31st of March. So not a loss, really. Is he going to be jumping straight back in on the 31st? But um, they were the telephone. The, the televised fights Sebastian Eubank on the undercard which I didn't get a chance to see because obviously I'd, how late I got the uh, email for the press pass and when I picked it up I wasn't able to catch that but I believe he, he's also from the same clamp, camp as Luther Clay and he also picked up the victory in his first professional fight as well which was interesting yeah he was thinking that he should be closer towards the top of the card with his brother don't think that that was going to happen but if he's anything like his brother he should I hope he's not because I hope he can listen more and take <laughs> yeah. in the advice that he needs and hopefully because he's only starting out he can benefit so much the same way Chris Eubank Jr. has from just learning and taking in with a proper trainer. I hope that the dad doesn't have the hooks in there as well. 
Oh no, yeah, I think that's that's one thing that the, the Eubanks, uh, the Eubanks sons need to do is just ditch Eubanks Senior, take him to the press conferences, take him to the weigh-in, but don't have him in the corner. He's 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 ruining he, he's ruining what they do. With it. You know, I think they could be a whole lot better with a proper trainer in the corner. And I, I'm not saying Ronnie Davis isn't a proper trainer because he is, but he's not been allowed to work. But enough about that. I don't want to touch too much on that type of thing because that's for another day. I want to move on and go across the pond to the US of A and talk about the fights that we discussed last week and the outcomes of them fights so on the Friday night we had Ray Beltran picking up the world title the battle of the boxing dinosaurs what a great win for Ray Beltran finally yeah and it's one of them he's probably one of those that deserved the world title uh, Moses nearly 40 years of age did well in the early rounds but Beltran did more experience like, I think he had the bigger he had better big fight experience which which counts for a lot when you're when you're going for world title, I think, and I think there'd be a lot of fighters now over in the UK that would be interested seeing that Beltran holds a world title. Beltran's willing to travel. Maybe he he he's going to make a lot more money now, but it should be interesting for the likes of Anthony Crawler, Campbell, those kind of guys to see here. If I, I can get a world title, Beltran's one of the people I can mm-hmm. target, and I think Eddie Hearn might be one of them saying Beltran never really in a boring fight sells t- can sell tickets. So I think we're going to see more Ray, Be- Ray Beltran now um, in the lightweight division. But delighted for him to pick it up because when they get to that that, age, that stage of their career and they get a world title, it's all that much sweeter because they have worked so hard for it. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other good stories coming out of the fact that he won that was, um, I think a lot was riding on it in terms of in America, they, they, they have to get a green card to, if they come from, say, like Mexico, which Beltran does, and he uh, resides in, in obviously the United States of America, to get that green card, there has to be certain exceptional, you know, things that he has to do uh, as an athlete. And I believe off the back of winning this world title, he has finally got that green card, which allows him to be a permanent resident, uh, so to speak, of the US of A now. So that's that's really good story to come out. Even better, yeah. So I'm really happy for him, uh, and I, I'll hope he does come over here, and I hope we see him uh, in a fight with An- Anthony Crawler or even Luke Campbell, whatever gets made uh, with Eddie Hearn. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, moving on to another interesting one of the weekend, um, we had Victor Ortiz and Devon Alexander. They fought to a draw. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to watch it. Uh, if you haven't, it was a it was a great fight. But I've, I, well. Before we talk about it a bit more, did you have you watched it yet? Uh, cut the highlights. Okay. Um, controversial, I would say, but yeah, it was a fight very much two halves when you look at some of the scorecards. Yeah, no, it was. Um, I, 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 I do feel Devin Alexander should have nicked it should have nicked it but he didn't and they given it a draw and um, we were saying last week this was just a money fight and whoever wins it really could potentially go on and maybe have one more fight with a bigger name in the welterweight division but this this draw now is it is it going to lead to a rematch I, I, I hope so because I think Devin Alexander looked a little bit better on the night and I thought he should have won that fight uh, and I'm a little bit gutted for him to be honest because he looked like he kind of put his sort of heart and soul into into that fight um, I think it, like he, he knew well, it's, it's all sort of for a rematch now and he for me he nicked it as well he was he was a lot busier in the early rounds but probably one we're going to see again because I don't think either of them have anywhere to go other than each other yeah I don't think so either but we'll see what happens over the next couple of months if we get that rematch or not um one of the other things that we've seen over the weekend, and I shared this across social media, and it got a, a lot of attention, was Danny Garcia's uh, great right-hand knockout of Brandon Rios. Uh, what, a, what a knockout that was. That was great. Um, wasn't surprised, but 
it was great. It was a good highlight reel KO for Danny Garcia. Uh, but a lot of people slagging Brandon Rios off after the fight, to be honest. Social media, there was a lot of people saying he was just a punching bag. He shouldn't have been in there anyway, to be fair to him. Um, There's a bit of harsh, slightly harsh on him, but I can see what this, why they're saying it. But Danny Garcia, uh, it just made him look good, essentially, in that fight. So we don't really know how good Danny Garcia, what level he can get back up to, because I don't think that was the fight that showed shown how far he can go again in the welterweight division um, because Brandon Rios essentially he did take a lot in that fight uh, and that, that knockout was pretty pretty brutal really to be fair so yeah uh, what did you think of that one yeah it's a savage right hand that puts Rios down uh, I think we yeah I don't think we could gauge too much off that performance but Garcia did what he needed to do he needed to announce himself again and that's the perfect way to do it a stunning knockout um, plenty of people calling him out now and it, he really announced him back in the welterweight division. I don't think Rios was really up to much. Um, I don't know if he came out of retirement for the fight. Um, but Garcia looked good as well. Uh, wasn't in with much, but he could only fight what was put in front of him. And what was put in front of him wasn't a whole lot. But the, the, the knockout kind of makes it that little bit better for him because it was a stunning right hand and Rios just is gone from the minute it connects on his jaw. Uh, one of those kind of highlight knockouts that... At Christmas time, we'll be looking at saying uh, knockouts of 2018, and that'll definitely be in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, just moving back over, we're back in the UK now in terms of boxing, uh, and in this past week, I managed to catch up with a local Manchester fighter, Andy Kremner. Uh, he is in the Ultimate Boxer Tournament, which we talked about two weeks ago on the podcast. Uh, and I managed to get a quick interview with him just to get his assessment of that particular tournament. Uh, so I'm going to play that for the listeners now and we'll come back to you in a couple of moments uh, and then we'll have a quick discussion about that. So I've got Andy Kremner on the line. Andy, how's it going? Yeah, not too bad, my bad. Good, good. So I wanted to catch up with you over the recent announcement that you are part of the Ultimate Boxer Tournament, the new platform, and you're part of the eight-man tournament in Manchester, 28th of April. How did all that come about? Well, uh, Carl Greaves just got in contact with uh, Matt Atten, um, and then Matt put put it to me, uh, manager, obviously Steve Wood, and we just all decided uh, it would be beneficial for my career to go in for something like this. You know, it'll push me on. Um, and just... It's just a brilliant opportunity that couldn't turn down. Like I said, the, the money's brilliant, but also what's what's going to come off the back of this? Um, and to be honest, yeah, I, I do fancy my chances. I, I really, really do fancy my chances. And I fancy like I know I'm a last-minute replacement, but um, and a lot of people won't know have a clue who I am in the tournament. But hopefully, I represent Manchester well. Um, and you know, Nick Nick Clark prize money. Well, that's it, and and it's a big it's a big life-changing amount of money as well. Um, but Let's just touch on, obviously, last year, because last year wasn't the greatest of years for you. Um, you, you started out at the start of the year, you picked up uh, a victory in May, and then, you, obviously, you had the, uh, the the road traffic collision, which has le- led you to be out for, like, seven, seven, eight months, didn't it? Um, what, what, what was the sort of feeling going around at that time when all that happened? Well, I was, I was gutted, to be honest with you. Um, like, obviously, like my coach, Matt, he said, bloody hell, it's like one thing after another. He said, like, um, I've got, you know, a hell of a t- determination, obviously, to, like, succeed in this sport because he said a lot of people, um, bit, had they been through what I, you know, I've been through in my career, my, sh- my shoulder injury, having to have an operation, then obviously the car crash, which obviously put me out of fighting for, you know, for a while, um, you know, my determination obviously is paid off and I've got, you know, the opportunity fighting on the ultimate fighter. Gonna keep going and 
and see what happens. Well, I, I hope it's not the ultimate fighter that you're on, because uh, you got to be a lot more training than just boxing, won't you? <laughs> but yeah, no, on the serious note though, it's um, it's it's really good, and obviously I I cover a lot of the Northwest boxing, and um, you know it was good to see you back uh, in December last year. You picked up a points victory. It was on the Jolly Boys show. Um, you know, how did it feel getting back in the ring? Did you feel a bit? Was it a bit? You know, they always say about the cliche of being ring rust. Did you feel like that when you was in there? Uh, not no, not really. Um, I would, to be honest, you're trying a few things in there, and just um, it might sound daft, but uh, getting used to being it again in them little gloves. Because um, sometimes I, you know, I like to take one to give one. Yeah. Uh, it's, not, it's not always the best style, but good to watch, and you know, I like to come entertaining. Yeah, and there's been a lot of talk around the uh, the boxing community, especially in the Northwest, and a lot of people are excited about your return and the fact that you're returning into to a big to a big event like this because it's obviously uh, it's got quite a few you know well known ambassadors with the likes of Ricky Atten, Anthony Crawler, Paulie Malinaje, and obviously Carl Greaves, um, who part and parcel set this up. So there's a lot of good people back in this tournament, and and you know a lot of people are excited for it. And, and the thing is, it's it's a it's welterweight division and it's undefeated welterweight fighters. It's not a case of, you know, there's going to be a few people in there with losing records. You're actually, you're all undefeated, aren't you, as well? So it's it's big. It's pretty big, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you say, everyone there for chances. One will be preparing and, um, like I say, it's going to be a hell of a night. The all night's all spectacular. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And you was due to be out on the 3rd of March. Is that still happening or is that now being postponed or cancelled, sorry, to, to, to accommodate for the Ultimate Boxer Tournament? No, I'm going to still be fighting in Oldham on the 3rd of March. Okay. Um, obviously, that's a must-win fight for me now because obviously, you know, pick up anything, a little cut or anything like that, that could be me out. So I've got to make sure that, you know, I put a blistering performance on and, you know, turn a few heads and hopefully get a few people from Oldham coming down and watching me and, you know, get a few people taking note of my performances. Uh, how are you going to adapt your training style for this fight? on the third and then going into the one on the 28th because obviously it's, it's the three round fights so are you going to have to mix your training up straight after that fight or are you already sort of planning for that already yeah matt's got you know a plan in place sprint um i'm i'm fit i throw, I throw a lot of shots um we think obviously the the ultimate box will be like suited to my style um we wouldn't have gone in it it, you know, had we believed that I didn't stand a chance, you know, we 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 honestly do believe that I, can, you know, can cause a big upset here um, and win this. <clears throat> but yeah, the training, obviously, we me and Matt have spoken about it. Uh, we've got some place, and you know, I think it'll pay it'll pay off. And on the night, you know, Matt will do his bit, and I've got to do my bit. So see how we go. Yeah, and you know, obviously, uh, being from the northwest and, and supporting northwest fighters is is one of the big things I set up the whole platform and the podcast for. And I'm personally really looking forward to it. And you know, we're hundred percent behind you to to pick up that victory uh, and walk away with that money on the night. And and I'm really looking forward to. Uh, to that tournament but obviously good luck for the third of course because you've got this tune-up fight uh, ready for the ultimate boxer tournament on the 28th of april um so we've got to make sure there's no slip-ups no cuts no nothing like that of course you know re- get yourself ready get yourself in there for the 28th um 
just touching on what you were saying about obviously being uh, with, with Matt, if for people that don't already know that listen to this podcast, you, you actually uh, are under Matthew Hatton, brother of Ricky, uh, over in Stockport in Pear Mill. Uh, he's actually building quite a little bit of a stable now, isn't he, with, with the fighters he's got in there? Yeah, he's got, you know, he's got good fighters down there now, Matt. You know, he likes stables going from strength to strength. He's got uh, Nathan, Nathan uh, Wheatley, uh, Damian Chambers, uh, Alex Rutter, um, obviously we're all heated. he's got a few lads t- turning over at the moment yeah it's, well it's good um, Andy I'm going to let you go obviously thank you for taking the call I know you've been very busy today uh, and obviously good luck for the Ultimate Boxer Tournament and we'll speak to you again soon yeah cheers thanks a lot for your time so there we go, Andy Creme de la Creme Kremner giving us his thoughts on the late surprise entrant into the Ultimate Boxer Tournament. Uh, it's obviously eight undefeated welterweights. Uh, obviously, you'd not seen a lot of Andy Kremner because he, he's more been based locally uh, for his first eight fights. But given that interview that you've listened to there, Cahill, what do you thought make of his persona uh, and, and the responses he was giving in, in the questions that he got off me? Yeah, he sounds hungry. Um, he's had a kind of tough time out of the ring um, with car accidents and stuff, but he's 8-0, and for someone who has had that kind of trouble out of the ring, it's great to see a competition like the Ultimate Boxer come up for him and give him that opportunity, as he said, life change and money, and a chance to announce himself. He, as he said, it's not just about the money, it's being able to look well, and you don't know, you don't know what might come through the door after that. So he sounds like determined because he's been through the, the mill recently, but undefeated and has nothing to lose and everything to gain in the Ultimate Boxer, which is which I think is perfect for uh, for a lot of these um, a lot of these fighters. They compare they're all undefeated. They're going to lose an O, but they could they could gain so much, and the winner comes out undefeated with life changing money. And Andy Kremner sounds like he's determined to be the winner. Absolutely. Um, so good luck, Andy. Obviously, like I said, uh, you know we're looking forward to seeing that Loma Boxer uh, in a good few weeks' time. Uh, well, let's move on. Let's go into this week's action that's coming up over the weekend. Uh, and as I said at the start of the show, boxing season has officially kicked off big time. Uh, we've got the second instalment of the Super Middleweight semi-final uh, with Callum Smith. Now, let's talk about that because that's been an interesting development this week. As of last weekend, we were expecting Smith and Bramer, but as of Yesterday, that's not the case now anymore. Bramer's now pulled out and he's now fighting a 14-0 undefeated boxer who is also a kickboxer, uh, who was also actually scheduled to be on this undercard in Nayiki Holskin. He's 14-0. I've had a quick look through his record and I've had a look at a few of the fights via YouTube, of course, and a lot of the fighters he's fought, I've got losing records, to be fair. So I'm not sure what to expect out of this guy, to be honest. I, I know what to expect out of Callum Smith, but I really don't know what to expect over out of Holskin. It's an interesting one because a lot of people were saying on social media after this announcement was made that they would have rather have seen Chudinov put in there. But I can understand why the Sowlands have put this fella in because of the fact that he was actually on the undercard. He was ready to go. He's in the correct division. Uh, he's got, on paper, a good record, an undefeated record. So it makes sense, but he's not really the elite of the elite of the division. I suppose I can forgive the Sourlands for this decision because after everything we've seen so far with the whole tournaments with cruiserweight and super middleweight, I don't know what else they could have done with this one. To be fair to them, yeah, it's it, Bremer or Bremer falling out with influenza was probably something that no one could have 
predicted and I'd say before the, the tournament fully kicked off, alternates were announced and we're going to be scheduled on maybe the undercard just in case some of them pulled out on the night and they needed to fight, this needed to go ahead and I think Zach Parker who fought on the undercard of Groves Eubank was the alternate for that fight so Halskin can only just maybe he's in there to shock the world and it would really shock the world sounds like more of a kickboxer than a boxer um, he's fought in glory and things like that um, in his middle 30s Patch, not a patchy record in terms of he's not being defeated, he's he's undefeated, but he had one boxing fight in 2017, and it's it's a shame that it's still being pay-per-view. Um, I think Callum Smith is going to look good against this guy, and if he didn't, then something's definitely wrong. He's the younger fighter. He's going in with, let's just say it, he's a novice. So it, we could just see a, a good performance from Callum Smith, but I think it's so disappointing for Smith, who was going to be in a good test against Bre- uh, Bramer. And I think he's been robbed of that opportunity, not through any fault of his own, and it's not through any fault of Bramer. But um, we would have, I think we, it would have been so exciting if Smith had come through a tough test in Bramer to set up the, the George Groves final. But you, you can't hold it against Halskin. He has a chance. Sure, he's going to give it his all, but I think he's going to come undone fairly quickly against the likes of Callum Smith, who is uh, he's technical himself, but he picks his shots well. He doesn't panic. Um, but the fight I'm looking forward to now a lot is going to be the Grove-Smith fight, and I hope that's the fight we get. And Hulls King could shock the world, but I don't see it myself, but who knows? He, he, he has a puncher's chance. Yeah, you're right. You're right in what you're saying. It's difficult to predict. Uh, it's difficult to really give Holskin uh, a chance in this one, just because uh, of the fact that for 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 guys like us, we don't really know him uh, as a, as a boxer because he's not really had that same level of exposure. Uh, he, he is more of a kickboxer when you look through his record as a fighter in general. He he's more seems to be uh, a kickboxer than a boxer. Yeah, he's had 14 fights. Uh, he's fought once in 2017 in boxing. But as you've pointed out rightly so, you really never know what could happen. This guy could be very unpredictable on the night and could bring up something different. However, I will expect Smith to take this and set up the mouthwatering final between Smith and Groves, which I think will be a purist dream. It's, it's going to be a great fight if that happens. I just hope I just hope and pray that Groves can get to the final and that we don't end up seeing someone like... Eubank in it or even Bramer there's a conspiracy theory going around social media funnily enough around a few boxing groups that are saying uh, this is this is a move <laughs> this is a bit of a heist by the Sourlands and what they're suggesting is that Bramer's pulled out with supposed influenza um, with a view to potentially fighting in the final uh, against Smith uh, if Smith comes through this fight with Holskin because of the fact that Groves might not be able to compete I don't really t- see too much into that to be honest with you don't get me wrong I love a good conspiracy theory but uh, I really can't see why this would be one uh, I think Bramer is, is, is just old I just feel, feel maybe he wasn't as up for this fight he's, he's focusing a lot on training these days so and coaching so I think yeah he could genuinely have out of the flu and at the age of 38 maybe it's hit him harder than what it would most of us so I, I can't see I can't see anything too much into that but 
I'm looking forward to the show. As always, the World Boxing Super Series shows are really good. Um, and I think they did appreciate some of the comments that I put about them on social media yesterday because I got a couple of likes off them on Twitter because I did say it is a breath of fresh air, this tournament. Um, it's, it's been really good and I can't thank them enough for, for bringing this to boxing and what it's done for boxing so far. Uh, the undercard... Uh, there's not a lot of fights in particular that stand out to me on the undercard, but there is one which you were surprised about when I told you about it before we went on the air, um, which was uh, Philip Hergovich, who beat Tom Little a couple of weeks ago on the Cruiserweight World Boxing Super Series show, and he's going in against Sean Turner. Now, that was a fight I wasn't expecting to see until I found about that today. What do you make of that one? That's surely going to be a great fight. No, it's it, that's one of those fights I didn't know about it until you told me, Sean. And then when I heard it, I was going, "Do I really? Will I pay? Will I pay the money to to get the 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 pay per view?" And I've interviewed Sean before. Um, such a determined guy. He's in with a very very good operator in Philip Hergovich. Um, but Turner's coming off a good win against someone who was in with um David Hay. I think we remember the the Cobra Arnold Kershkov. But it's 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 a big ask for Sean, but. You gotta hand it to him. He wants to go. He wants to. He wants to perform on the big stage, and he's getting in with the people that no one wants to get in with. And Hergovic did look brilliant against Tom Little, but it, it, it is a tough ask. But a, a good heavyweight dust up Sean Turner never disappoints. He's going to come to fight, and he's going to give it his all until he stopped, or he's going to go until he wins. So big sexy Turner is is, is definitely going to make an impact on Saturday night and. Good luck to him. Hope he, I hope he can do it for himself because he's a really nice guy. Um, but Hergovic, not a lot of people know him, but uh, uh, big things are expected of, of Hergovic. Big things are expected of his career and he could be um, could be one to watch um, after this tournament in the heavyweight division. He's only had three fights as well. That's what surprised me. You know, I, I thought he'd had more. And then when I seen he'd only had the three fights and this was his fourth, I was quite surprised. So, obviously, he is expected to do big things. And, and you know, that, that stoppage of Tom Little a few weeks back was uh, pretty brutal, to be fair. And, you know, this could be an interesting fight. Sean Turner, as you say, he really wants it. I see. I follow him in social media. I've seen a lot of the stuff that he does. And you can tell he really wants this. If he comes out and causes this upset, supposedly, this will be fantastic for his career. And it really will propel him to hopefully get a shot at a a well-known professional title. So, again, two good fights on that card, really. We don't know what the main event's going to predict for us, but we'll see what happens come Saturday night. Um, So, anyway, moving on, let's look at the other card that's on at the weekend down in London, the Box Nation card with three of Frank Warren's finest fighters. Um, We've got Anthony Yard going up against Tony Avalanche. Uh, Anthony Yard back in the ring, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, WBO European Light Heavyweight title on the line, WBO Intercontinental Light Heavyweight title on the line here. Um, It's going to be interesting to see him back in the ring. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the Light Heavyweight the light heavyweights division and uh, you know the, the talent that's in and around there at the moment um, I've not seen a lot of Tony Avalon to be able to make a judgement on whether or not he's going to provide Anthony Yard with any such of a test um, but if sort of his record's anything to go by he, he's fought a lot of fighters with losing records uh, which makes me believe that potentially this is going to be Anthony Yard picking up uh, a routine victory Yeah it's it, the cards from top to bottom seems to be a uh, kind of get them out, keep busy kind of card. But Tony Everland only stopped twice, um, as he has everything to gain going here and against Yard. But Yard hits hits like a truck, so he has what fourteen fights, thirteen KOs, 
and I wouldn't be surprised if he continues that on, on Saturday night. One of those that you, you're keeping your eye on because a lot is expected of him, looks the part, can speak, speaks well. Um, big fight, hopefully, with uh, Frank Buglioni at some point this year if the promoters can get it over the line. But he, he can only fight what's put in front of him and Tony Everland for as long as he lasts could could be a tough um could be a tough prospect but Yard is in there. It looks like a keep busy um any rust or any injuries that he needs to figure out but from top to bottom the card seems to be a kind of get them out and um it'd be interesting to see headlines the bill and I think a lot is expected of anti Yard and I think two thousand eighteen he'll want bigger tests than what he has on Saturday night and I think after this he needs to be pushed on towards them. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a big fight waiting for him on the horizon. Uh, looking through Tony Everland's record, there was two fighters in particular that stood out to me, um, which I did fail to mention a little bit earlier on there, which was uh, Jürgen Bremer, funnily enough, and Eduardo Guchinek, who Bremer's also fought in the division. Uh, however, obviously, Avalon has lost to both of them fighters, so he has been in with quality operators in that respect. He's been in with Bremer, who's you know a very well-known fighter and been a world champion. Um so he has been in with big fights, but I think this is this is one of them fights. Fancy eye is a measuring stick fight. Avalanche at, at, at that certain level, I think he's like a gatekeeper, so to speak. So if you beat the gatekeeper, you kind of then really you're showing that you're ready to sort of move on, essentially to that European level. Um, which he's got the WBO European light heavyweight title, but obviously. You know, there's the official European light heavyweight title that you can go out there and win. But we want to see the domestic dust ups as well. We want to see the Jose Burton fight. We want to see the Buglioni fight. So there's there's a lot to come really, and I'm interested to see if he blows Avalanche out of the water come Saturday night. Moving on, Zelfa Barrett, obviously local, very local to me, literally about a ten minute walk from around the corner where the gym is. Uh, Zelfa Barrett is going in against Ronnie Clark. Um, again, you said it a little bit earlier there. It's a get him out kind of fight. It seems to be fights that have been set up just to get him out and get him active. Uh, and this doesn't seem any different, really, with this particular fight. Uh, he's fighting Ronnie Clark, uh, who has a very peculiar hairstyle at times, which is going to be interesting <laughs> to see what he walks into the ring with come Saturday night. Um, but I do, I do feel that it's, uh, it's it's good to see him back in the ring because we've not seen. Zelfa in the ring since he beat Chris Conwell for the English featherweight title, uh, super featherweight title that is. So I want to, I want to really sort of see how Zelfa does uh, in terms of his opponent. He has been in with Martin Ward before now uh, for the British super featherweight title. So he has had some great fighters. Uh, he's fought Jordan McCorry. Uh, for the Scottish area featherweight title, uh, Jordan McCurry is a very well-known up-and-coming Scottish fighter as well. So he has been in with some some well-known fighters uh, across uh, this side of the pond. Uh, Craig Evans is another one he's been in with. So he has had some good tests on his on his, on his uh, resume there. However, he's lost to them all. <laughs> so um, that that kind of to me says that. It's going to be another fight to keep Zelfa Barrett busy, to keep him active, to prepare him for what lies ahead. Uh, if you say Zelfa Barrett, you think of uh, Lion Woodstock uh, as a natural potential opponent for him. Every time they do interviews between each other, they're always mentioning each other's name or the, the interviewer will always mention each other's name to them. So I think that's a fight that's been brewing and it's going to continue to brew and that's probably where we're going to see Zelfa Barrett go. Yeah, Ronnie Clark, I don't know if he's going to be up to the pace that Barrett sets, the combos he throws, and he's just a slick style, so 
it's for the IBF European title. I don't really like when the organizations actually have a European title because it, it's it's not it doesn't mean much, but it's it's another title there, and it, it it's a good sign of where they're moving up in the rankings. But Selva Barrett is one of them that also he has a very good under, undefeated record, a lot of fights, so it needs to be pushed on now. I think it, a big 2018, and that's probably a good thing about this card on Saturday night. We're going to see a lot of people who need a really big 2018, and Selva Barrett's definitely one of them. Yard is one of them. Dubois is one of them. So Ronnie Clark, tough operator, only four defeats. So. It's how Zelfabart looks at the end of it. He gets gets dragged into a dog fight. Who knows? People say that maybe he's not ready for for the for the bigger fights. But for me, his slick style, the way he fights, the way he the way he carries himself, um, has the makings of a star. So let's hope that if he can get through Ronnie Clark, that he can uh, he can push on the bigger fights of Frank Warren and get him those bigger fights that I, that I think he wants. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of Daniel Dupuy, obviously he's on that card as well as you've said, uh, going in against undefeated DL Jones. Um, Dale Jones, however, uh, I'm looking for his record as I speak because I don't know a lot about him. Um, he's beating some of the sort of standard journeyman name, Paul Butlin, uh, Dorian Darch. Um, well, to be fair, he didn't beat Darch, he had a draw with him. But, I mean, looking through the record, again, it's, it's, it's a lot of journeyman he's fought. This will be his biggest test today. And my word, what a big test he has ahead of him. And Daniel Dubois, the, the, the big punch in Dubois, obviously looking... To continue his sort of reign of terror, so to speak, he very much looks like Joshua um, in terms of the way he, he's blowing his opponents away, like Joshua did earlier on in his career. But I think we have briefly spoke about this before at some point where we've we've both agreed that I think Dubai actually looks better at this stage of his career than Joshua did. So this is another fight for him um, to get a good, another good uh, round, round, <laughs> I say round, round or two maybe, we'll see how it goes. Um but I, I I don't really expect a lot from DL Jones to be honest with you, and it sounds really bad of me to say that. But although he's got an undefeated record, really there's not anybody on there where you can honestly say he's he's been in with somebody that even comes up to Daniel Dubray. No, it's DL Jones doesn't even carry any power. I don't think in any of his wins he's actually had any knockouts. So, um. This is a proper step up for DL Jones, and it's one of those kind of still ticking along for Daniel Dubois. Um, he's looking for a seven straight KO, and I think he's going to get it on Saturday night. Um, seems to carry dynamite in the fists, so he's one of them that he's at that stage where you want maybe he still needs these ticking along fights, but maybe put him in with maybe better opposition after this one because you don't want to see them kind of stagnate with these people who have maybe undefeated records but D.L. Jones' record looks it looks okay he said if he could bring Dubois late you don't know what could happen but um, I think the writing may be on the wall from when he when he'll feel Dubois' power and if Dubois can get through this I'm sure he'll be out again soon uh, he's taking long and he's very much on the road to he's on the path that Anthony Joshua was on. It's just whether, whether or not he can get the fan back behind him. But he needs those. Um, he needs those bigger tests to push him on. Yeah, I, there's plenty there. I'd like to see maybe towards the end of the year, maybe a fight with Dave Allen or something like that, or maybe challenging for uh, the Commonwealth title himself if Allen holds it, or if they can put him in with, put him in with the likes of Sexton. Put him in with the likes of uh, put him in with the likes of those guys who who carry a name and will give him give him a fight back. 
because that's what you want about Anthony Joshua. What happens when someone actually hits him? The way he can, he, the way he can hit, and that's when you find out where Daniel Dubois is and what level he's at. It's not with the likes of DL Jones. You fully expect him to get through it, but you'd like to see, uh, you'd like to see him be pushed on after this. The same with Yard. The same with Barrett. Well, it's interesting that you say that because uh, also fighting on the same card uh, is someone who's touted to be a potential opponent for Daniel Dubois in the future uh, and a man that's also shared a room with him, uh, Nathan Gorman. He's also on the undercard. Uh, We've not had an opponent announced for Nathan Gorman as yet. Uh, However, this is really interesting, this, because this is stoking up a potential fight between the two of them in the future. And I was listening to Ricky Hatton today, actually, talking about this particular fight uh, in an interview that he did with Steve Lillis. And interestingly enough, apparently both camps have said that that is a fight that they both want. However, they do want at least another 12 months or so uh, and let it brew a little bit longer and they want it to be for a meaningful uh, well like a meaningful fight like for a meaningful title basically which I understand but this is definitely you know this is brewing this one and I have mentioned this before in the past um, on earlier podcasts that I've done and I do think this is a fight that is brewing and I think that we are going to see in the future so I'm happy to see Nathan Gorman back out also this weekend and it'll be interesting to, to compare obviously performances I don't think Gorman's as big a a puncher as Daniel Dubois however he has very fast hands and feet for a heavyweight like Tyson Fury a little bit <laughs> to be fair <laughs> however this is this is obviously something that you know a lot of people in the boxing community are talking about and there appears to be some sort of little needle between them when you hear the interviews and you talk about it you know, I've listened to Nathan Gorman recently speak about Daniel Dubois and how they shared a room together when they were both um, when they were both fighting at you know at amateur level. They've sparred a lot of rounds together as well, so they both know each other quite well in that respect. It's a natural fight; it's going to happen at some point. And you said it a little bit early when you were talking about Dubois. He needs to be fighting somebody who's going to punch him back or going to give him a test. And I think this this fight with Nathan Gorman, when it does happen, it is the one fight that I think you know we, we will be looking forward to and I think it should be, hopefully for like a British heavyweight title in the future depending on obviously how some of the other stuff goes, but uh, Nathan Gorman, Cahill, what do you think about him so far in his career? Yeah, he's looked good probably in the same boat as Dubois at the moment where he's going to beat what's put in front of him because he's just levels above that. If they both come through this I don't think Frank Warren would really want that at this stage, I think they'd like to build it more and build the two fighters more. Nathan Gorman, Quick hands, quick feet. Um, could be all wrong for Daniel Dubois, but we'll only find that out when, when they fight. So they both need to come through that for that fight to be as big as they want it to be undefeated. And yeah, I think I think they I think it's right to keep them apart at the moment, just because they're both undefeated, they're both young heavyweights. But it could be like um a Coley and Chamberlain where they go, just throw them in. Neither is gonna come off it any worse and we'll, we'll see what they're all about. Um Gorman has a has a good record, better than Dubois, just in terms of he's had more fights, more wins, but probably one of them that he's needs a big uh, 12 months, and if he can come through the next 12 months undefeated, then it sets up a huge fight. Maybe he could be 15-0, and 0, Dubois probably 12-0, and 0, but it's how much you invest in fighters, it's how much you, you actually believe in them, because you could hold them back and say no, because we don't want... We're, we're going somewhere with this and we want to see what we're not going to put them in with the big fighters just yet so Gorman if he comes through this year undefeated Dubois the same I think he will because it's just a natural progression I think it will it will be a, for a big title and you could be looking at the, the next kind of Dillian Weiss the kind of Daniel Dubois this is the next kind of level these are the guys coming through that could be who knows the, the future of the heavyweight division in Britain 
Absolutely. Well, I'm going to move swiftly on now uh, because we've still got a stack show and we're already nearly one hour into it. Uh, so let's quickly move on. Uh, one bit, a little, little bit that I didn't touch on a little bit earlier uh, was the victory for David Benavides in the rematch with Ronald Gavril. Uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much uh, and go too deep into that conversation just because I'm conscious of obviously the time uh, and I want to make sure that the listeners get the great interviews that we've got coming shortly. Uh, obviously, he picked up and continued. Uh, uh, on his journey he's definitely someone we need to be looking out for in terms of potential opponents for our super middleweights Callum Smith for example and George Groves they'll be interesting fights if they ever get made in the future um, one other little piece of news is uh, the WBC super flyweight title is also on the line this weekend um, and the gentleman who I cannot pronounce his name for the life of me uh, defends against Juan Estrada uh, Cole do you want to try and pronounce it? Yeah, it's wrong, Versailles. Uh, how, how the bloody hell do you do that? <laughs> you just you, <laughs> you just make me look so silly. Uh, I can never pronounce the names. Uh, but yeah, I'll say wrong, Versailles is defending his WBC Super Flyweight title this weekend as well, to touch on that. Uh, so let's get right into Sunday's action. Uh, it's the next-gen show at the Victoria Warehouse. Uh, hopefully I should be there in attendance personally. Um, we'll see. But first of all, this week, Cole, you managed to get a fantastic in-depth exclusive with John Murray, brother of Joe, who's fighting Lewis Richardson for the British title. Um, so I'm going to put that interview on for the listeners to, to go through. Uh, it's about 15, 16 minutes long. So guys, have a listen to it. It's a really good interview with John talking about the fight with Joe and Lewis Richardson uh, and also what he's been up to as well since he's left boxing. So if you hang on right there, you're going to be getting this interview right about now. And I won't keep you too long. Yeah, no worries, pal. Yeah, I just wanted to get your take on uh, your brother's fight with uh, Lewis Ritson coming up uh, in late February. Um, good fight. Lewis Ritson, we're also a good champion. Um, working very hard. We've set the fight short notice. We've only had a four week camp, but uh, we're confident going into it. We've had a good, we had a good busy year last year. I think we had seven fights in one year. Kept him nice and busy, been in the gym, working on techniques and that. So, and we're having a good camp up to now. So, yeah, we're confident going into it. Um, and, uh, we want to give everything we've got, yeah. And how was preparation in, uh, in build-up to the fight? Good, I'm pleased with Joe. Like I say, we've only had a four-week camp, so it's a big ask of him. So we've got, we've got to try and squeeze an eight-week camp into four weeks, but I'm more than happy where he's up to. more than happy where he's got on top of his weight and uh, how he's performing, inspiring and that. We're doing well, so good. I'm, I'm pleased where we're up to. And you've won the British title yourself. How proud would you be of your brother if he was to win the, to win the British title? Well, this is good because it's my old lightweight title. British title that I never give up in the ring. I never lost in the ring, sorry. I, I get I get vacated the belt and moved on to bigger things, bigger titles. So as far as I'm concerned it belongs in the family and uh Charles is taking back what's like that belongs to us. And uh, what do what do you make of Lewis Ritz and what do you what do you make of his last performance, um uh, his last time out? Yes, yeah, he's a very, very good fighter, he's a good pressure fighter. Uh very similar to myself in a lot of ways, which is good for us because Joseph has, has had sparring with that style for all his career. He's had sparring with me. And uh I just want to touch on yourself, John. Um, how how is how's the gym coming along now? And um, I can see that you're busy with amateur fighters. How's it all going at the moment? It's good, mate. It's going really well. I'm definitely pleased where I'm up to. Uh, I've uh, I've got a nice crop of amateur fighters coming through, and I expect them to be turning over in seven to eight years from now. And then I'm gonna have a nice little stable of good professional fighters. 
I'm not one of them trainers where I'll hang around the amateur shows, whispering in little kids' ears, saying, come and train me, come and train me. I will go out there and I'll make it on my own, and I'll produce my own fighters. I'll do it the right way. And uh, that's, how, that's how I'll enjoy my... Uh, I'll make sure that I, I last in boxing. I mean, I'm not a sneaky person. I'm very straightforward and I'm straight with everyone. And what you see is what you get. I make my own fighters. I make my own champions in my own gym. And uh, I make sure that I'm around boxing for years to come. And what do you think is needed for a young fighter these days, um, along with a good amateur background? Um, do you think good promoters and having the right people behind them is important as well as having a good trainer? Definitely. Uh, all different ingredients but the main thing what you need is you need a kid who's there who's willing to put the draft in and uh, and listen to what he's told uh, you know if, if you can get a kid that's, that's dedicated and, and trains hard this guy's the limit to that kid you know as long as he keeps on winning keeps training keeps doing well it stays hungry then you know you've got, you've got a winner on your hands and do you think maybe that was something that was missing in your own career maybe not having a promoter to, to truly back you well I I had a good career and I dedicated my life to it, but it just seemed to me like it was just like, it was one more fight, one more fight, one more fight. I kept getting told I was one more fight, and I think I got to stay one in a row. By the time I got to stay one in a row, I thought I'd have given up. I thought, no matter how many fights I have, I'm never going to become a millionaire or anything like that. I just thought, I'll get a little payday out of it, and, uh, and then I'll be gone six months later. And you know what, I wasn't wrong, because coming into my career, that's basically what I got. Got another payday, got another six month bending out of it, and that was me done. So um, you need you need to you need to be knuckled down. You need to dedicate yourself to it. You start giving up or asking questions, and you're just going to fall short a little bit too short. So you know, I'm happy with the career. I did well, um, and uh, I, I, I got me out together just when I needed to. Got the money I needed to start my business and keep me involved in boxing. And I would no regrets in my career. I'm very very happy with how it turned out on that background. And do you think, uh, away from the injuries towards the end of your career, do you do you think you fell out of love with boxing? Um, I think like after the Rios loss, I lost to Mitchell fight, but I don't think I was at my best for the Mitchell fight. I got the opportunity for Rios. Um, I trained very very hard for the Rios fight, but I don't think the relationship with me and Joe was the same as it was in previous fights. Uh, but I lost the Rios fight fair and square. He's a bit bigger than me on a night, but. I still lost the fight and that was that. So I had a break from boxing after that and then I came back again for the Gavin Reese fight. Um, I really dedicated myself. I thought I can't afford to lose three fights on the shot. I was in unbelievable condition and then I got a phone call before the fight saying that I failed the brain scan and I need to go and see a doctor. I thought it was a tumour on my brain. It kept me out of the ring for another year before I got it all clear. And then after having two years out of the ring, it's, especially for a fighter like me, you can't afford to have two years out of the ring. So... I think that was my career in the end. But uh, like I said, I got my act together, I had a couple of wins and a bunch of crawler. Um, but I just fitness had gone. I had too long out of the ring. But I managed to get I managed to get the money behind me to set up my gym and that and that's what that's, I'm happy up to end out. And uh, something that's well documented is the deterioration of your vision, um, that uh, had a huge effect on your career. Um, when did you start noticing that in your boxing career? When did it when did it really start um hindering you in your in your boxing? A couple of fights for Mitchell. I started having really, really sore eyes every time I got a pinch in the eye. I mean, I got a really bad blood shot. Um, after the Mitchell fight, um, I had double vision. And then I had, a, I had the Rios fight. And then in the qualifier, I went to detach. Uh, I don't know. I don't I, I don't really know because I never really got it looked at proper. But it was after the qualifier when the retina was seen to be detached for the first time. And then that was my career over. I'm pretty much blind in my right eye. My left eye's all right. 
pretty much blind. And how do you cope with that day to day? Does it hinder you when you're uh, when you're working in the gym? It doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't affect me one bit. Uh, obviously, at first when uh, it first happened, it's, it's very very noticeable. Um, but it's it's it don't know. I don't notice it one bit anymore. It's I can see light a little bit, but it, it doesn't affect me anymore. I'm completely used to it. It doesn't affect me one bit. And do you believe if you didn't have that eye injury, you'd still be fighting t- today? 100%. 100%. I love to fight. Uh, I, I love everything about it. I love training. I love fighting. And I've got 100% still fighting. I still think I'll mix it with the best now. There's no doubt about it. I, 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 I just want to fight. That as long as I'm fit and strong, I can, I can mix it with anyone. Um, very, very hard, man. And uh, we've seen in interviews that you've you've had in the past. Um, towards the end of your career, you um you had to end up working on the roads just to just to make some make some money. How did how did that make you feel after um after giving so much to boxing that you didn't feel like you were getting too much out of it? It's boxing. Boxing is what it is. You know what I mean. And at the end of the day, if you're a fighter, you are a piece of meat because you're just you're just an asset to the business. The real the real businessmen in boxing are the promoters. They're the ones that make all the money. The fighters are the ones that make the money. And that's why when you see a fighter start doing well, they always set up their own promotions and their own businesses. Because until you get to that stage, you're just an asset to the business. The promoters are the ones that put on the shows. They're the ones making all the money. As a boxer, you're just an asset towards the business. You don't realise this when you're fighting. Like, it's one of them, it's like, oh, if, if I knew them what I know now, it's going to be different. But I've learned my trade and I've learned the business from being on that side of it. So, the knowledge I'm experienced, I can pass on to young fighters coming through second to none. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm setting my own, uh, own stable of fighters, bring them through, and they've got all the knowledge and experience that I've got, and I'm going to hand it down to them. And what advice would you give young fighters now, maybe who are 17, 18, looking to go pro? From your own experience, what advice would you give them? First bit of advice you can give any fighter is you've got to dedicate yourself to boxing. There's no way uh, you can't uh, take shortcuts in boxing. You've got to be all in, dedicate yourself 100%. Start cutting corners, that's when you get found out and uh, live the life completely. Tough, tough games. And does your training now, does that um, does that come anywhere near to your boxing career in terms of motivation, in terms of excitement? Or is there still that buzz of fighting that you miss? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very hungry. It's, I'm as hungry now as I was when I was 18 when I turned professional. So I've got the same passion and same hunger now as a trainer as I did when I was boxing all them years ago. And in these kids, I'm, I'm, you know, I get to relive all, all the things I went through. They get to pass on my experience. And, and uh, I think the mark of uh, me will be how good of a trainer will come in years to come. And that's that's, that's, an, that's that stage. I've had my career. I'm really happy how it went. Now, and now my next challenge is to become a good, successful trainer. And that's what I'm doing. I've got me head down, focusing on being a good trainer. And uh, this is the next challenge for me. I'm enjoying the challenge. And, I'm looking forward to seeing how well it can go. Which excites you more? Is it working with the professionals, like with the big title fight your brother has uh, at, the end, at the end of the month, or is it, uh, is it bringing your amateur along to the amateur shows and seeing how they're progressing? I enjoy both. I enjoy both equally. And, and uh, when I'm working with these amateurs, nine, ten years old, I'm not thinking, oh, this is the kid, he's having a few fights. They're on the conveyor belt then. I'm not thinking of them as, as little amateurs at 11 years old. I'm thinking of them as getting through the amateurs, getting through the seniors, turning professional, getting through the professionals. You know, they're on a conveyor belt now. I'm starting my conveyor belt of fighters. I don't, I don't doubt for one second my gym will produce champion after champion after champion in years to come. Every one of the main gyms in Britain. From someone who's been in the ring and uh, seen it from the fighter side, do you think that makes you a better trainer than maybe other people who haven't been in the ring, who haven't had the experiences you've had? Million, million, million percent. 
any trainer that says you don't have to be been in the ring to to be a good trainer, they've never boxed before, they've never been in the ring, and they're only saying that because they don't know what they're lacking. Uh, and, and, and every single trainer that's boxed before professional and says you ask them, do they need to be in the ring to be a good trainer? Every single one of them will say yeah. And uh, I've had this conversation with Rob McCracken one time, and we was talking about it. And it, you do now at the end of my career, now become a trainer. You need to know, and when you speak to the lads, the lads look at you. They need to know you know what you're talking about. Um, and, and and you do you, you need to be in the ring to experience that. I need, I know what my lads going through. I've been been there, done it myself. You know I mean, I know what to tell them. I know how to help them. Someone that I've been in there, they can't they can't help you. Tell me going through. And. After over 35 fights, what would you say the highlight of your career was? Um, many, many highlights. Uh, I boxed in Vegas twice. I boxed in Florida with 14,000 people. I put on a top display against Johnny Walker. I walked to Canada. Um, I walked out in front of 22,000 people, Madison Square Garden, boxing for the world title. Massive, massive achievement. Winning the British title against Lee was a massive high for my, my career. Defending the British title numerous times, winning the European title. I've had so so many so many eyes. It was an unbelievable career. Very very proud of myself. No one expected me to do that. I remember I was only a 24 fight novice amateur boxer turned professional. I couldn't even get signed up with a promoter when I turned over. No one believed in me, but I believed in myself, and that's what I tell kids: you're willing to work hard, you're willing to train hard, you can do anything. And look at the career I produced out of nowhere. No one expected it. I think I was 16 and over before I got signed up with a promoter. No one wanted to know. I thought I was nobody, but. I proved everyone wrong and I'll prove everyone wrong again as a trainer. And as a trainer, you're going to be, as you said, in seven or eight years. What would you, what would you, what would you want for your amateur fighters? Would you want them to to make the money, um, li- live that kind of lifestyle, or would you, are you, would you be happy just British title, or do you want you want to reach the top with your fighters? Um, starting to win a British title, one step at a time. I'm serving the apprenticeship. I'm learning the trade. Uh, being a trainer is completely different from being a fighter. So I'm just learning the trade getting used to everything, starting up with the amateurs, starting up with the pros on smaller shows. I've got my Joey, my brother, fighting the British title, fighting there for three weeks in Cruz Ripton. So one step at a time, I'm learning all the time, I'm building experience. Second thing was when I was a fighter, and no one can give you, no one can teach you anything really. You have to learn it for yourself, and I'm learning it the right way, I'm getting the right experience, and I know, I know for a fact I don't dance for one second, come in here, come on, I'm going to be one of the best trainers in Britain. And as you said, no one can teach you anything like that. But did you speak with any trainers before you made the decision to become a trainer yourself? Um, no, I just I don't really saw was something I wanted to do. I'm very, uh, I've got, I've got, when I've got vision in my head, I can, I, I make it happen. Um, uh, yeah, when I, when I visualise something, it comes true. So when I started boxing, I remember I got, I got to the phase. I thought I just, I want to fight in America. And the next, it must have been about four weeks after I started having this vision in my head of fighting in America. The phone went. I was boxing in Florida. And I said he's not with London, he's not with some other. And then I started, I started visualising that I wanted to box in Vegas, and sure enough, that phone call went, I'm boxing in Vegas. Then I wanted to box for a British town, and a British town, and that happened. I'm just one of the people where if I see something in my mind, I make it happen. And I've got it in my mind now that my gym is going to become a hotbed of professional fighters in Manchester. And I don't doubt for one second it will happen. And I'll make sure that it happens. It can't, I can't fail. I only ever succeed. And do you think the way your career ended you don't, you, do you think boxing owes anything do you look on your career with any regrets or anything like that nah boxing doesn't owe me nothing no one owes me nothing uh, everything's down to me everything's all on me and uh, I, I, make, I, I make the whole success in the end and uh, that's that
and don't owe us nothing. It's like, what is that? I paid a lot of dues to boxing, but the thing is with boxing is that I, I realised that at the end of my career, when uh, my last my last win of my, my career, uh, I went up to going into like, let's say, the qualifier or something that I had hundreds of missed calls going into the fight. And then as soon as the, as soon as the fight's over, you, you announce your retirement. You don't have any missed calls. No one wants to know, no one wants to know anymore. Just, just a piece of meat, yeah, I mean, the main piece of boxing. And after this thing's again with my fighters, I'm going to look after them, take them under my wing. They're like my family. I mean, I look after them properly. And I've seen that you've said that you don't like, um, you like working with fighters from when they're young kids. How important do you think it, it is for a trainer to be, to be in a, a young fighter's life from that early age? Good, because your trainer is like your father figure. You, know, you look up to your trainer, he's your father figure. Um, you spend more time with that guy than you spend time with your own family sometimes, your own dad and all that. So, you know what I mean? You've got to be able to trust him. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I want to build my trainers, to build that trust, build that uh, loyalty with each other. And uh, we will do, we will do. And they will have a trust in me and we're have a trust in them. And when we're in the deep and heart of the war zone, in them hard rounds in boxing, they're going to ask me, I'll, I'll tell them something. And they're going to trust what I'm saying is right, and they're going to do it, and it will pay off, and it'll work, and they'll win the fight, and that's how we're, that's how it's going to work. As a, as, a, as a former fighter, how important do you think is it for a young fighter to get, maybe not straight away be pushed to um to 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 the to the to the titles. Do you think it's important to have the kind of few growing fights and then maybe kind of build as a fighter in the pro ranks, or do you believe that um if you're good enough, you're old enough, you can fight for all the titles you need? Definitely. Well, it's, it depends on the fight. Everyone's an individual. Uh, I, as I said, I turned pro eighteen. I had some really tough learning fights and some good challenges early on in my career. What I come through, but they helped me later on in my career. As I got into them tough fights and the mad rounds, it's never any quitting me. I would always just dig in and keep trying to throw. But that's because I had them tough fights and I had learning experiences in the career. Every fight is an individual, though. Not every fighter needs that tough, tough bringing through. Some people need looking after a bit better. It's all down to the individual, that. And uh, I trust that as I go. And you're someone who, seen in previous interviews, you've said that someone who, who didn't have much of an education. How much do you think boxing has been a part of your life? Is it is it who you are in terms of it's given you everything? Yeah, it was a massive part of my life. Like I say, I didn't have to be a boxer because I was quite an educated lad. I got like 14 agencies at GCC level. I could have went on to college university, but by the time I was 16 or 17, I knew that I wanted to be a pro boxer. I think I did one year at college, but I knew I was going to go pro the year after. So I did the second year at Boxing Academy. I chose old enough to turn pro and I decided I would turn pro. Um, but that wasn't, it wasn't the only option for me. I was, like I say, I was quite a bright lad. A uh, couple of A's, three B's, every other subject, sub GCSE level got a C. So, you know, I, I was educated enough to go on and do something I could have done tomorrow. But I was, I'm, like I say, I'm very, very single-minded when it comes to what, what I do. What I want to do, I'll focus on it and I'll make it happen. Um, I knew what to be a boxer. And I focus on it. People come up and saying, "What you been in boxing? Why you not with Karen?" And I say, "All right, well, you know, there's there's other people. Be, people don't like thinking well, but uh, I, I'll always treat all those people wrong. It's uh, I, I take great great enjoyment out of it." And you're big on the amateur scene in Manchester. How big is the how big is the amateur scene now in bo- in, uh, in the amateur scene of boxing in Manchester? Flourishing, flourishing, absolutely massive. Um, I think there must be about ten, fifteen amateur boxing clubs in Manchester at the minute. Uh, it's, it's massive. It was never that big when I was young. It's, I think it must have more than doubled uh, since I've been since I've been a pro boxer. 
Over 10, 15 years, the machine doubled in, doubled in months. Yeah, massive. That's brilliant, John. I, I appreciate it. So there you go. Exclusive interview with John, the machine Murray. Uh, wow. Great insight there into the fight with uh, Joe Murray and Lewis Ritson. It was good to hear John's thoughts on that. Uh, and it's also good to hear his thoughts on what he's been doing after boxing because uh, growing up, uh, John was one of my uh, fighters that I really, really enjoyed watching and I was gutted when he lost to, to Brandon Rios. And then obviously he had the fights with Mitchell uh, and Anthony Crawler uh, and then the issues with his eye. And it was good to hear the question from yourself and, 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 you know, what he was saying about that. It was, because, uh, you know, he said... I'd find that quite a touchy subject, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, it's uh, essentially what stopped him continuing boxing. But you can tell, yeah. you can tell there's still that love there for it, and you can tell if he could get his license back, he would. <laughs> and that's the thing. Uh, but yeah. it's good. It was good to hear what he had to say, and um, you know, some great questions in there for you. Um, what What was it like, obviously, interviewing John? Is it, is it the first time you've spoken to John before? Yeah, that is the first time I spoke with John. And just reading his backstory, I followed his career, but. Always in, always in tough fights, and you hear that he kind of had a tough sometimes outside the ring, which is, which is so unfortunate. But um, seems to have everything back together again, and a huge opportunity for his brother at the weekend, which, uh, which John will be involved in definitely. So one of those that he, you can, he, he has, he has, he has love for boxing again, but he has it in a different way. He's bringing through the youth um, in your area in Manchester, um, Sean. So. One to keep an eye on, definitely John Murray, and uh, definitely a big fight for his brother this Sunday. Well, that's what we're going to talk about now, is the main fight of the next-gen sh- next show at the weekend. Uh, it's Lewis Ritson defending the British lightweight title, going in against Joe Murray. This is going to be uh, an interesting fight for me, and the reason I say that is just because uh, Lewis Ritson is... We don't really know if we've seen the best of Lewis Ritson just yet, Whereas with Joe Murray, we have seen Joe Murray step up and when he has stepped up, he's lost. And he was the the man with all the potential after he came out of the 2008 Olympics. It was a lot of things expected of Joe. And now he's got the chance that he's been screaming for. Joe was one of the first people I interviewed when I started Eat, Sleep, Boxing, Repeat. And it was a great interview because, you know, he was telling me about how British boxers need to grow balls um, and, and and how he, he should be in British title fights. And now we're, we're nine months down the line and he's finally got that British title fight that he's been craving for. Um, I think he's not done himself any justice sometimes. Like, he had the Matty Fagan fight on the Huey Fury and Joseph Parker undercard. And I don't think he looked the best. I do think he actually lost that fight, to be fair. Um, and I'm sorry, Joe, if you do listen to this podcast. You know, I do, I'm do. i sorry, mate, but I, I do feel you lost that particular fight. And I thought Matty Fagan won on the night. However, that wasn't to be. And now you're here, you're in this position where you, you're fighting Lewis Ritson, who's... I'm hearing a lot of things about him and a lot of good things about him. And I'm really intrigued with it. And from a Manchester perspective, and obviously, I, you know, from my side, I'd like Joe to win because I'd like Joe to fulfil that potential. But I just don't know what Britson's going to bring because he is unpredictable. And this is a, a really, really sort of... I think this is actually, funnily enough, a bit of a crossroads fight because, you know, what what happens if Joe Murray loses this fight? I just don't know where he's going to go after this if he loses this because this is the big chance he's been screaming for. Whereas Ritson, Ritson could take this loss and come back, whereas I don't think Murray could. Uh, what do you make of the fight then, Cahill? Yeah, I think... Ritson really announced himself against uh, Robbie Barrett, and he'd be my favourite going into um, going into Sunday night. Um, I think Joe Murray he hasn't at times hasn't covered himself in glory, but he has a good record. But one of them that 
if he gives us it all, you don't know what could end up because we haven't. Who knows what we've seen in Ritzman? Did he have a great night? He is undefeated, but he's been signed up by Matrim now, and they obviously believe in him, and they're giving him a fight here, at main event, and the next gen show on Sunday. So, um, I'm gonna have to go with Ritzman, just young fighter, look very good against Robbie Barrett, and but who knows if if Joe Murray turns up, uh, 100% gives it as all. Who's saying he doesn't walk away with the British title? And one after speaking with John, um, he said that he wants it. He wants the British title back in the family. And who's who, who's to say that Joe can't get it if he gives it as all on on Sunday night? But uh, as I said, I'd probably have to side with Ritson with for for this one. And I can understand why you're siding with Ritson on this one. For me, obviously, I'm being a bit biased there and say I want I want I do want Joe to win because I do want him to get that British title uh, in, within the family. You know, I think I think he does deserve. It, I just feel like he needs to put on a career best performance really and show everybody why he was an Olympian and show everybody why he should be a British champion uh, I, I've always found Joe to be one of them fighters where he only seems to really step up the gears depending upon the type of opponents and level of opponents he's got and I did see him at the UK versus Africa show which was in the Victoria Warehouse in Manchester back in November and he looked really good and he looked really you know he looked on form that night but again I don't think his opponent was on the same level as what he's got on Sunday night and this is what worries me you know if he's not up for this fight he should be if he's not and he's not 100% for this fight then is potentially going to lose his opportunity which could be our last opportunity but we'll see what happens you know hopefully Joe he picks up the the victory and he goes on uh, to fulfil the career potential but we'll see come Saturday night now another fight which is interesting on the card which we also yourself Carl picked up another interview for this week Jordan Gill versus Jason Cunningham just before we play the interview from yourself obviously Jordan's another good prospect on the show going against Jason Cunningham what do you make initially on that fight or do you think Jordan Gill is going to pick up the victory I think he is I think he's been put in there and if he looks good I think he's going to be signed up by Matchroom probably the way Ritson was when he was put in with Barrett he's with a great coach in Dave Caldwell and probably one that when people see him and um, will think he's a prospect he's had 18 fights and he's won them all so I think if he has a good performance on Sunday he can really announce himself to to the UK public and to, to the boxing fans and Jason Cunningham knows slouch himself a uh, bit unfortunate that the featherweight title uh, British title went to a draw the other night with Lowe and Walsh so who knows if Gil will have to wait maybe one more fight before he gets his chance this is uh, an eliminator but uh, I think if he looks good on on Sunday night he'll probably sign up Matchroom and Matchroom probably be doing their all for him to get that uh, British title fight probably if, if not his next fight the one the one after but sign with a great um, coach in Dave Caldwell and probably Big things to big things to come for Jordan Gill. A big 2018, and Sunday night is his chance uh, to really announce himself. Well, let's have a listen uh, of what he had to say to you regarding this fight on Sunday. Um, I was just wondering, Jordan, how preparations going for your uh, your fight with Jason Cunningham coming up next week? Yeah, it's going great. Uh, working hard every day in the gym, doing everything that's asked of me, and uh, that's all you can ask for, really. We're going into the fight fully fit, fully prepared, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And how, and how has preparation there been going? Really well, really well. We had some good sparring. I've uh, been working hard. Uh, the techniques getting better. So um, it's just, just a matter of performing on the night. And how do you see the fight going next Sunday? Um, I'm, I'm, I haven't made my mind up yet. I think, uh, I think it's a great fight. I think it's the perfect fight for me at this stage of my career. Uh, probably would have liked to a few fights ago anyway. Um, but I think, I think I can stop Jason Turner. And you've been working with Dave Caldwell. What difference has Dave Caldwell made to your boxing career? Um, it made a huge difference. 
at the Ingle Gym. We were doing all the boxing stuff based around fitness. So we were doing everything at a high intensity and mixing out the technique. Whereas with Dave, the boxing is all fully technique and all my sense of conditioning is done elsewhere. So all my fitness comes from elsewhere. Um, so I've seen huge improvements in my actual boxing skill because we're breaking it down, slowing it down and uh, getting the technique right. And after next Sunday, how active would you like to be this year? Uh, how busy would you like to be in 2018? I'd like to have at least four fights in 2018. And going back to Jason Cunningham, he is coming off a defeat. Uh, but what do you see good? What strengths do you see in Cunningham and what weaknesses do you see in him? I think he's a good boxer. Obviously, he's a tall southpaw, which no one really likes boxing. Um, he's, he's a very good boxer. He's proven it. He's, he's got the experience. He's fit over the round. I mean, he's a, he's a proven champion. He won the senior ABAs. He won two 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 English titles, two Commonwealth titles. Uh, he's mixed it with the best, so he's no mug. And if you were to win uh, next Sunday, is there anyone you'd like to come out of Saturday? Would you, would you like Isaac Law or would you like Ryan Walsh? How would you see a fight going with either of them? Um, I think either one of them I'd beat comfortably. Uh, anyone in the division who's a name, that's who I want. So uh, whether it's uh, Isaac Law, Ryan Walsh, Reese Bellotti, um, the rest of them, they can all, they can all, um, they can all get some. But my my main focus is Jason Cunningham next Sunday. And you're part of the next uh, the next gen uh, format that Sky have put together. What what do you think of that format and what it's doing for young British fighters? I think it's great. I think it's giving uh, fighters opportunities um, and it's given the fans uh, the chance to see some young, young up and coming fighters that probably won't get the chance to get uh, aired otherwise. Um, obviously, got the Olympians on there. Uh, it's, I think it's great for everyone. And how excited are you at the box uh, in Manchester and also in front of uh, the audience sitting at home on Sky? I'm buzzing. It's a, it's a big opportunity for me and uh, I'm just going to make sure that I deliver. And after the, the Brit- if you were to win on Sunday and you were to pick up the British title, what would you like next? Would you like to defend the title a couple of times or would you like to keep pushing on now? Um, it depends. I think be what uh, my manager says. Um, whatever opportunities are there, they're going to be taken. Um, ideally, I'd like to win the British title outright, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens. And with your record, you're 19 and 0. How have you managed to slip under the radar so much? You know, you won't be known to a lot of people outside of boxing. How have you gone under the radar so much? Yeah, well, I haven't had much coverage. Uh, I've been in low-level fights. And I wanted to step up a long time ago. And I was promised various different fights, and it just never comes to fruition. But um, the main thing is that it's here now, and uh, we're going to take full advantage of it. And are you going to be consistently now on Matchroom Cards? Sorry, sorry, say that again? Will you be on Matchroom Cards now going forward? Is that Are you signed with Matchroom or is it just that... Uh... No, no, I'm not I'm not signed. So uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure if I put in a good performance, there's going to be another opportunity. And maybe for people who haven't seen you, what, what can they expect from uh, from yourself when they when they watch you fight? They can expect uh, thrilling uh, combinations. Uh, it's going to be flashy. It's going to be controlled. It's going to be... It's going to be a bit of everything, a bit of boxing, a bit of fighting, plenty of movement and uh, just slick skills. And what made you join Dave Caldwell? As you said, you came from the Ingle Gym. What was it that made you join Dave Caldwell? He's a great trainer. Uh, he gets his fighters good opportunities. Um, I like the way he breaks down fighters, uh, fights on TV. Um, I think he's got a lot, a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of good connections in the sport. So yeah, it'd be, uh, it was a wise move to go. Drony Young at 23, what do you think you can go on and achieve? Well, I, I, I always say I wouldn't be in the sport if I didn't think I would have worked off. 
and your record is is very impressive. Do you think maybe picking up the, the the British title maybe this year a chance of picking up the European? Do you think you're maybe one or two years away from a world title shot with the record that you have and maybe a bit more exposure? Yeah, for sure, for sure. That's what we're looking at. So there you go, Jordan Gill giving us his thoughts, ready for Sunday night. Uh, he sounds very ready for this. He sounds like he actually sounds like he just wants to get this fight now, get the victory over Jason Cunningham, uh, and then he's he's just sort of there, ready, like you said just before we played the interview, that he he wants that title shot and he's ready for that title shot and. I, th- I think you, I don't know if I could sense a little bit of frustration to be honest with you I don't know if you got that impression but I kind of sensed a little bit of frustration in his, in his voice that you know he's, he's, he's 18 fights in he's going into his 19th fight should he pick up the win you know uh, he's 19, 19 and 0 and he's, he's practically ready for that title uh, and I think that's where we want to see him now as you said before so it, it was good to hear his thoughts on Sunday night and I am looking forward to seeing him I am looking forward to seeing what the future holds in a potential fight with uh, either Isaac Lowe or Ryan Walsh we'll see what happens with that one um, but yeah move, moving on from that particular interview we'll go down the list and look at that card because again it's, a, it's actually another good card in terms of the level of fighters that we've got on there um, we were talking about Anthony Yard earlier we've got Hope Jose Burton on the card. Um, he's obviously getting back into action uh, since last year, since being on the Crawler uh, Burns undercard, where he had a great knockout. So we're looking forward to seeing him back in. And, and obviously, with it being the night after Anthony Yard's fight, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a bit of calling out between one another because I know we've heard it before. So I'll be interested to see what happens there. Uh, Tasha, Tasha Jonas uh, is going into her fifth professional fight. Um, she's been looking phenomenally great as of recent times. Um, what do you make of uh, Tasha? Uh, because obviously she's she's someone that's been touted to fight Katie Taylor in the future. Yeah, it's one of them. The Katie Taylor, if she can get the belts, I think it, there's a lot of big fights that can be made here in the UK. And I think Tasha Jonas signed with Matchroom as well. There's no reason they couldn't make that fight. There's no reason they couldn't headline. And as I said on our previous episode, there's no reason that it couldn't headline on a big card here in Ireland. It would sell tickets, bring fans over from the UK. And there's a story there between the two. And you'd, li- you'd like to see that fight. I think Jonas will uh, will pick up the win on Sunday night. And, and who knows, maybe 2018 could be the year that we get uh, Jonas against Taylor uh, in the professionals. Yeah, I think it will happen. Obviously, Katie Taylor's a few good few steps ahead at the moment, but with the women's yeah. division not being as deep, uh, I think that's potentially something that's going to happen within the next 12 months. Uh, Joe Gallagher's got quite a busy night that night because he's also got Sam Hyde on the undercard and Marcus Morrison uh, both returning. Sam Hyde, fully enough, returning from uh, what was a pretty brutal injury uh, in his last fight on the Crawler Burns undercard. Um, he dislocated his knee in the fight and still managed to go the rest of the fight and he's back, he's fully fit, he's ready to go. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Sam Hyde being back in there. Scott Fitzgerald's in the ring come Sunday night. Um, we've got another local prospect from the northwest, from Bolton, in 10-0, Osman Aslam. Now, he's someone I would suggest to you, Carl, if you've not heard of him already. Definitely keep an eye out for this the particular fights because he is fantastic and I have seen him live at a couple of the shows uh, small hall shows recently and he's looking on form and I think he's going to be one to watch uh, and then we've also got uh, the debut uh, of Cass Ashfak uh, who's obviously the newest addition to the matchroom stable and they're getting him out for his professional debut on that show um, so just in summary really Carl you know are you looking forward to this particular show there's quite a lot of good talent on here 
Yeah, it's Sunday night boxing. So it's we have boxing on Saturday night, and then we have boxing on on Sunday night, and it's it's a chance to see good um, upcoming fighters and to see. Uh, uh, a cracking main event, uh, a very good prospect in the call main event. But then, if you look down the card, you have um, a couple of a couple of recognised names: Marcus Morrison, as you said, Jose Burton. They'll be they'll be known to matchroom fans. And then you have Sam Hyde, Osman Aslam, as you said. And it's going to be a big production. But a Sunday night boxing after you have a day of football, and then you have the boxing. So I'd be I'd be getting people to tune into that, and I think Matrium, I think the, these next gen shows either being put on a Friday night or a Sunday night is perfect because you're gonna get to see. I think the Sunday night suits are perfect. You're gonna get to see young fighters coming through, and um, not in the in the toughest of fights. In fairness, but if you like your boxing, you get to see some young talent and you get to see what's coming through at Matchroom they do have a lot of fighters but you're going to get to see maybe the guys that don't get the get the, the spotlight as much as the others so this is a chance to see um, some really good fighters yeah absolutely and, and I'm looking forward to it and, and hopefully I'll be there uh, and I might be able to pick up a few interviews while I'm there so that'll be interesting if I can pick some up while I'm there uh, after the fights uh, but moving on let's look at some of the news that's been going on this week uh, today uh, was the Hay and Bellew 2 press conference now that that was pretty um, pretty interesting because obviously we've been looking forward to, to this ever since it was rescheduled from the 17th of December and they both come face to face again today uh, and there were some interesting quotes from them today um, first of all we obviously we didn't do this podcast the last time they fought I picked Bellew, Bellew won in unfortunate circumstances of course, but this time I'm still picking Bellew, I still want Bellew to win. Um, we did the Boxing Wishlist podcast uh, a couple of days back which is uh, online if you've not listened to it, get it listened to. Uh, and one of the things we talked about is David Hay coming out with the sport uh, this year. Um, I think Bellew wins again, what do you think about this today? Yeah, in the first fight I did actually think David Hay would knock him out. Um but this one now for me, I I couldn't pick a winner because you don't know which David Hay is going to show up. Um, the press conference today was tame compared to what we've seen in the past from them. Oh, yeah. I think that's going to be the same in towards the build up to the fight. Um, it, it for me, it, I can't I can't pick a winner this time because I genuinely don't know what's what's going to happen. But that's one of the the exciting things about this fight. You don't know what you're going to get on the night. Will David Hayes' body hold up? Will Tony Bellew land that knockout shot? Or can Tony Bellew's chin hold up to being hit with one of those haymakers? So that's why it's so entertaining. It was just a press conference today. Um, We've seen a kind of different side to David Hay. He was more calm. Wasn't going to be goaded by Tony Bellew, even though Bellew tried his best. And I think if Bellew tried his best to get under his skin, and David Hay probably came out the better by just not letting him kind of eat away at him, because... Mm -hmm. It's, it's clear to me, and Tony Bellew is right, that David Hay doesn't like Tony Bellew. He seems to really irritate him, and that's what makes it such an, an, an interesting fight. And it's it's one of them that you're, you're almost counting down the days because I'm so excited to see it. I was so excited to see the first one, and I couldn't believe what transpired in front of me. So it's a huge fight. The press conferences, I don't think are going to, you're not going to get what happened the first time when there was punches thrown and stuff like that. But it, it, the fight had sold itself and I think you're going to have a lot of pay-per-view buys with this and a packed out a packed out attendance and you just hope the fight delivers on the night yeah I, well I hope it does but you know it was interesting today because in the first fight the build up to the first fight you've seen David Hay training on his yacht um, and, and you just thought that, that that's what made me dislike the guy even more um, in terms of, of, of his persona 
Uh, ever since he stuck his toe out after the Klitschko fight, I lost a lot of respect for him as a, as a fighter. And I thought, well, why do that? You know, you lost, you got beat on the night, fair and square. You don't get your toe at the end of the fight. Anyway, moving on from that, this persona he's shown in the first first fight or the build-up to the first fight, um, he was just come across as an absolute ass. And he, he said afterwards that, he, you know, he was doing that on purpose. But I don't think he was, to be honest with you. I do feel like he's just David Hayne generally. He loves his player life. If You know, Tony Bellew, was winding him up about it, saying he thinks he's a playboy and he wants to be an actor and all the rest of it. But today was totally different. He actually today come out and he was saying, you humbled me, you beat me, the towel came flying in because you were the better man. And it was like, well, that's not the same David Hay we're used to. We're used to a trash-talking David Hay, a guy that wants to just trash-talk all the way through the press conferences. But this time, we've seen someone who's a little bit under control. Maybe, maybe do we sense a little bit that he's taking this a little bit more serious than he took the first fight? Yeah, I think he has to. I don't think he's in a position now where he's even said today that if he doesn't look the way he wants to look after he watches it back, even if he wins, he says he'll retire. I don't really know if David Hayes ready for the kind of young up-and-coming heavy, up heavyweights. I don't know if he'll want to get in there with Wilder Joshua. If the if the money's there, I'm sure he will. But when he took, when he took his toe out that time, yeah, I completely lost that kind of... I used to like him, then it, it completely left a bad taste in my mouth but what I did kind of brought me back to him was how he how he soldiered on with a torn Achilles for me it's if David Hayes body can hold up and, and what, what David Hayes shows up on the night if he thinks he's just going to blitz Tony Bellew again he's he's in for a long night and Bellew has a can go forever he could fight fight till the end of time and it'd be interesting to see after the fight what happens but for me Tony Bellew has all the options and for me David Hay could be at the end of his career as we said on the, on the previous episode one of those people that you wouldn't like to carry on too long maybe had a success and that was touched on today by Tony Bellew so you could see on May 5th the end of David Hay or you could see maybe him getting the win I think he's going to carry on anyway and try, see if he can get a heavyweight title shot because no matter what you say he sells tickets he is box office and a fight with him and Joshua is something you'd love to see just in terms of the build up and, and the fight itself so as I said, I'm I'm, I'm going to have to sit in the fence on this one. I won't I won't be able to take part in a, in a predictions <laughs> on this one because I just don't know what it's going to happen. Uh, I'm so, I'm going to say early prediction. I, I, I stuck with Bellew last time. I just feel like Bellew uh, is the young, slightly younger man. Uh, he seems to have more of the hunger and desire to prove people wrong, uh, and I think he'll do it again. And I think we've seen from the first fight as well that Bellew can take the punches of David Hay, and he made David Hay miss a lot before the Achilles went. So it depends on what David Hay turns up on the night. If he comes in a little bit more shredded, a little bit less in weight, comes in for speed, we might see a different fight because he might go for the speed factor against Bellew. However, Bellew, again, he can take a punch. He can get back up from a punch being knocked down. He's a guy that's got great heart and and someone who I think will walk away with the win. And it was interesting because... A couple of interviews that were done at the presser today with Eddie Hearn. Uh, one of them was uh, quoted in saying, this is Eddie Hearn, by the way, saying that once he beats David Hay, his next fight is Andre Ward. Yeah, it didn't, I thought he I didn't think that Bellew was going to fight on after this. Maybe if the if the money was ready, he would have fought Tyson Fury. The Andre Ward fight could be um, one last huge paycheck, but you wouldn't know if Ward's coming back. So it's all well and good saying that he's going to fight Andre Ward next. A lot has to happen before anything like that happens. And if Tony Bellew loses on May 5th, really, really want to go through it again. He doesn't seem the type that would go out on a defeat, but I don't really know where the loser goes on this one. But 
the op- there's a lot more options for Tony Bellew than there is for David Hay. And the Usyk fights there is for Bellew. Per- perhaps the, the Tyson Fury fight, um, Tony Bellew himself has built himself into a pay-per-view star. So he deserves respect and, and he's one of them that if he's fighting, I'm paying to see him. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that sort of wraps it up for most of the stuff uh, across the fights over the weekend. But you've got a bit of news coming in from Ireland. If you want to share that with us, if nobody already knows this, Cahill, tell us about the retirement of this week. Yeah, and one other is that I think he could have got a shot at Daniel Jacobs in his next fight, but that fell through, which is unfortunate for Andy Lee. But uh, he's become a pundit now. He's he uh, speaks really well. Um, great boxing mind boxing. it is a shame to see him retire I thought he had maybe one two fights left in him but he said it, the offers weren't right for him and you can only you can only respect that after what he's what he's given to the sport the former world, world champion and um, beaten by Billy Joe Saunders but maybe didn't get the homecoming fight that I think he deserved here in uh, in Ireland um, but maybe maybe the right time to hang them up at the age of 33 maybe the fights weren't out there anymore I was thinking maybe a fight a big domestic fight with Spike O'Sullivan could be made but, but you wouldn't know what's going on in a uh, going on in the boxing world so sad to see him go but I can completely understand his uh, his decision to retire and one of them that uh, would have no regrets he won the world title and um, he had some huge fights in with some huge names and I think there's a clip going around or a very famous clip of Andy Lee nearly getting knocked out. He was he was he was nearly dull, maybe one shot away, and he throws he throws a shot and he completely floors his opponent. Always one that got me and always made a always one that stood out for me was Andy Lee. And uh, it's it's sad to see him go, but uh, had a great boxing career and, and and you wish him well in retirement. Absolutely, uh, Andy Lee. I you know what I always enjoy watching Andy Lee fight. To be fair, I always thought uh, you know he was someone that had great boxing ability, but also had some great punching power at times as well. And that particular clip that you refer into there, I do remember that, and that was one of the one of the great comebacks that you'll ever see in boxing. No, I'm sad to see him go, but I'm glad he's walking away on his own terms. He's got a good career in punditry. He's won a world title. You can't really argue with much more than that. So uh, obviously, congratulations for the career. We're sad to see you go, but you know that's boxing. It has to happen. It's better than him getting out too late. I'm glad he's done it. So that about wraps it up, I would say, for today's episode. It's been quite a long episode today. Just to recap, really, you've got three interviews today. Andy Creme de la Creme, Kremner, John Murray exclusive on the Joe Murray fight this weekend. And then you've also got Jordan Gill. So the three great interviews there. It's been a, a very stacked episode talking about everything that's been going on uh, in boxing as of this past week. And I just want to say, as always, thank you very much to the listeners. And I want to also mention uh, the fact that we've got listeners from all across the UK and over in Ireland as well and even in Brisbane and Australia so I'm really ple- I'm re- yeah I'm really pleased that we're getting listeners from across the world at the moment and that really um, is really appreciative really humbling for me and I'm sure it is for yourself and we'll keep doing what we're doing here and all we ask in return really is to keep doing what you're doing is listening sharing if you've not subscribed get subscribing on whichever platform it is you've got iTunes you've got SoundCloud you've got YouTube for Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat where you can listen to it on there you've got obviously Player FM you've got a lot of podcast apps which you can pick this up on now so get listening please it takes one second to give it a share just give it a share on social media whichever platform you're on give it a share because that really helps us 
produce more quality podcasts for you, more opinions. It gives us the opportunity to get more fighters on here. And each week we'll continue to bring you the best of the roundup from across the UK and the world. So as always, you will find us on Twitter at BTR Boxing Pod. And you will find us on Facebook at Beyond the Ropes Boxing Podcast. If you've not followed Eat Sleep Boxing Repeat already, we're across social media as well. Personal social media handles is at Sean Basso ESBR and at 14 Cahal Belt. C-A-T-H-A-L I have to say this every time now because of the pronunciation of your name Cahill but it's just, to, it's, it's just to make sure that everybody knows where you are and where they can find you and obviously you do write a few articles for a few places as well so if they don't already see some of the articles that you write then make sure you follow Cahill on social media because you will find that he writes some really good articles yeah, you can catch me on F14, Cahill, and you catch any boxing content I put I I put out, you'll, you'll find it there, so you can uh, get links and stuff like that. But uh, no, I really appreciate anybody listening to the podcast and uh, from across the world. It's it's exciting, and it's it's an interest for myself and Sean to be doing this uh, each week. It's, it, it's, it's a passion for both of ours and uh, something we love doing. Absolutely. The final word from myself, really. Uh, you heard it at the start of the episode. The main sponsor for this podcast, uh, big thanks go out to Steroplast Healthcare Limited. They're assisting us in producing this podcast and making sure that this podcast continues to run for as long as it possibly can. And a big shout out to the Cheer Protein Bar, who this podcast wouldn't be possible because they provided the equipment and the tools to get this podcast up and running. So thanks to you guys. Uh, and that about sums it up for this week. Cahal, any last words? No, I'm all good, Sean. Enjoyed the episode. And, uh, looking forward to next week. Hopefully, we can. Uh, there's, there's, there's loads of boxing going on at the moment, so we're not going to be short of things to talk about. Absolutely not. Well, thank you, everybody. And just remember to give us a follow on social media and share the episode across social media. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Sports Social Podcast Network.